All right, guys, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning for most of our message, and uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the Father's love. So let me ask you this question. When you, uh, when you think about God's love, and, uh, and I want you to, to give me some feedback here, when you think about God's love, uh, what images, what thoughts, what, what words would you use to describe God's love for us? So help us out here. What are some of the things that pop into your mind when you think about God's love? Never ending, okay. No favoritism, unconditional, okay. What are some ways that you, you see and you, you experience God's love? When you think about, man, God loves me. How do you know God loves me? Well, because. How? Okay, all right. His grace, okay. Okay. The cross, okay. Okay, small details of life, okay. Uh, the blessings that God pours out on us. I mean, a lot of times we think about, I know God loves me because God blessed me with this, or God gave me that. And we, we tend to, to really look at the, the love of God, and we, we think about all these blessings, whether it's grace or whether it's you know, the, the universe or the cross or all these, these demonstrations of, of God's love for us. And this morning what I want to do is to try to challenge you to expand your understanding of, of God's love. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you know this better than I do. And so maybe this will just be a moment for me to, to, to say some things that, that, that I'm learning and that God's stretching me to do. But I want us to, to look at this because I want to add this other dimension to God's love. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one that we may not be so quick to think about when we ponder God's love. In the book of Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we go through this roll call of faith where it talks about all these men and women of God who, who stepped up and by faith they listened and they obeyed God and they saw God do great things. And these guys became these, these heroes of faith. And when you get to the end of chapter 11, uh, he begins to talk about the others that are great men and women of faith who did not receive everything that they had hoped for in life, everything that they felt that God had promised them. I mean, when, when you read Hebrews, it starts off really, really cool in chapter, uh, chapter 11, the, the first part of that chapter, just about Abraham and all these people that, that trusted God and God just came through in miraculous ways. And then you get toward the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and it talks about those who were tortured and refused to be released, those that were executed and sawn in two and and all these other things and and it says the world was not worthy of them and and so we get this picture that, that God's not just faithful when everything works out the way that we want it to but God's faithful even when it doesn't go the way that we had hoped that it would go and then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, which encourages us to, to, to cast away our sin and to pursue after Jesus Christ. And, and where I want to pick up is here in chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, because seldom do we think about God's discipline or God's rebuke or God's punishment as a demonstration of God's love to us. I, I don't know about you, but when I think about God's love, I don't think, man, God disciplined me and that means he loves me. God punished me or God rebuked me. And that means God loves me. But that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is going to say today. That, that even in God's discipline, even in God's rebukes, even in God's punishment, he is demonstrating a, an incredible facet of his love for us. And so I want us to, to dive into this today, and I, and I want us to see what this writer of Hebrews is saying when he says that, that these things that, that God does that aren't always seen as love by us 
are really demonstrations of God's love, and they ought to encourage us. We, we live in a, in a time where tolerance seems to be the new thing. So somebody chooses something that, that goes against Scripture, and we say, well, just you, you, can't, you can't speak against that. You, you can't say anything against that because we, we just need to be in the spirit of love and the spirit of tolerance, the spirit of, of just, you know, you, you, you live and you let live. And, and I want to challenge that a little bit today. I want us to push back on that just a little bit today. Because love is never passive. Love doesn't just sit back and let the object of that love go astray without seeking restoration, without seeking to, to call them back to what is true. I think sometimes we minimize the effects of sin. We, we minimize the, the, the devastation and the disaster that follows sin. And when we begin to understand what sin really does to us, then we understand how unloving it is for us to remain silent. Just like a parent who thinks they're being loving by letting their child run wild. And what they're really doing is setting that child up for failure and for heartbreak. Um, in the same way, and he's going to use this illustration between human parenting and, and God's parenting of us, God doesn't just sit back and let us run wild. Why? Because he knows the devastating effects that that will have on us long term. So God does course corrections. He, he calls us in. He, 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 he does things that, that call us back to himself because it is in God that we find life. It is in God that we find our being. And when we veer from that, we, we minimize life. We don't maximize life. So let's look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, um, beginning really in verse 5 today. It says, and, and, have you for, and you have forgotten that word. I don't have sound. Oh, there we go. Okay, sound back. Okay. It just took a minute for it to all come back. All right, here we go. Let's read this again. Okay. Uh, it says, and, and, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement. So what he's about to say is meant to be a word of encouragement, not a word of discouragement. Okay. It's a word of discipline their children why do they do that because they do love their kids and they realize that an undisciplined child a child that's let run wild 
it's going to be destructive for themselves and for other people, right? And so he's, he's speaking a word of encouragement here. And there's something that, that if, you, if you read this closely, I think that, that, that will encourage you. Listen to what he says. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. In other words, when God rebukes us, it should not be disheartening. It ought to be encouraging. Because you're his child and he's trying to, to, to bring you along in life. He's trying to grow you up in the Lord. And so when God rebukes us, sometimes we get our feelings hurt. I was in a conversation this week with a young lady. And we were talking about some things. And, and some things that she said were, to me, were just not, they weren't accurate. They, they, they were kind of mean-spirited. And, and, and gently I said to her, I said, the way, even the way that you phrase that is, is very disrespectful. And even the way you say this is, 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 is showing your, your bias this direction. And she just began to cry. And she just wept. And I'm like, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. And, and she says, no, you don't hurt my feelings. I, I love you and I know you love me and, and, and you're right. But this was a person who hasn't been told many times in her life that she was wrong. And so when somebody finally says, hey, I think you got this wrong, it, it's devastating. And I think sometimes in our relationship with God, when, when God rebukes us, we get our feelings hurt. But the writer of Hebrews says we ought to be encouraged by that. And he's going to explain why in just a minute. So, so when God rebukes us, it ought not be discouraging or disheartening. And then he says this, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So when God disciplines us, it's not hatred it's actually love he disciplines those that he loves now the problem is sometimes in in this world we we get disciplined in anger right as a parent there's been times we've disciplined our kids in anger and there's probably times our parents disciplined us in anger and so sometimes we want to associate this discipline with anger and he says it's not that at all discipline does not mean that God hates us it means that God loves us and then look at this, and, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You go, that's a weird statement. But here's what he's saying, that God's punishment is not rejection. It's a sign of acceptance. And so when we began to look at this issue of God disciplining us, God rebuking us, God punishing us, God calling us back to himself, it, it's not to, to be disheartening. It's not to, to show us that, that God has rejected us. It's, it's to show us that, that God loves us. And so God is the one that is walking with us and helping us to be able to, 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 to fully understand how much this love really is. And so he says in verse 7, So I want you to endure hardships as discipline. So we're going to go through life and have some difficulties. Sometimes those difficulties are the result of sin. Sometimes those difficulties are, 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 are God's training grounds where God is, is getting us uh, prepared to be uh, more and more like him. But, but here's what he's saying. I want you to endure your hardships as discipline. For God is treating you as sons. You see, there's some theology out there today that says if you're a child of God, you should never have a difficulty. You should never go through another, uh, another illness, another tragedy, another uh, uh, difficult circumstance in life. And that's just not true. He's saying that when we endure these hardships and we understand that that's God disciplining us and God shaping us, and you do believe, don't you, that God can shape us even through our difficulties? Many times it's through those difficulties that we grow the most. 
Because we learn that we don't have what it takes, that we need something more from God. And so in that process, we learn from the Lord, and we learn to lean upon the Lord, and we actually grow more in our difficulties than we do many times on the easy days. And so he's saying here, God's got a purpose through, through everything that we work. And, and we believe what Romans says, that God is able, even through the difficult things, to bring about good. And so when we go through difficulties, we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to say to me? Are you trying to correct me, to rebuke me? Are you trying to train me? Are you trying to strengthen me? Are you trying to show me that I, that I need you and make me more dependent upon you? But God treats us as sons, even through the hardships. And then he says this, For what son is not disciplined by his father? In, in this time when Scripture is being written, the father was charged with the discipline of the children. It was his job to raise up his son and to make sure he knew what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be godly, what it meant to be God-fearing. And he's saying, what, what loving father would neglect that responsibility? What loving father would just turn a blind eye to sin, knowing the consequences that that sin's going to bring? What loving father would just be passive and say, well, you know, I don't want to hurt my kid's feelings? He's saying... What son is not disciplined by his father? And then he gets a little bit stronger in his language, and he says, but if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So he's using human analogy to, to, to fill us in on some of this understanding of our relationship with God. Because we are the children of God, God's going to discipline us. Because we are the children of God, God's going to do whatever it takes to get our attention and to bring us back into relationship with him. Now, we, we read the Old Testament, and, and many times we'll read in the Old Testament and see this, this, this interaction of God with the people of God, and, and it gives us not every single fine detail of, of, of what went on, but we'll read, and I think sometimes because the Old Testament covers such a long period, We'll read about the people of God that were walking with God. They turned their backs on God, and God punished them. And we get this idea that every time I fail, God's going to just come down hard on me. What we don't realize is many times that little sequence of them walking with God, them turning their backs on God, and God sending judgment upon them took place over hundreds of years. That God was actually long patient and suffering with them, and it was only after everything else that God had tried they didn't respond to that God would have to come in and, and kind of lower the boom on these guys. We read the Old Testament, and you can easily get this image that God's harsh in the Old Testament. But he's really not. I've had some say, well, man, I read the, the, book of the, I read the Old Testament books, and then I read the New Testament books, and I'd much rather be in the New Testament because I see this, this picture of a loving God in the New Testament and a harsh God in the Old Testament. Guys, it's the same God in both places. But there are different facets of God's love. That, that sometimes we, we miss out on. Even when God was disciplining his people in the Old Testament, as harsh as it sounded and as, as severe as it could be, it was done in love, always with the purpose of restoration that would follow. And so God works, and even in our lives, when, when, uh, when God comes and he, he works in our lives, um, sometimes it feels It feels harsh. But it's really not. And, and I don't know if I'm making too much of this, but as I, as I looked at this passage where he talks about the rebuking and the, 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 the disciplines and then the punishment, 
I'm, I'm not sure, but it seems to me like kind of a progression that God comes to us when we step out of line and he, he rebukes us. He says, hey, let's, let's get back together here. Let's get this back in. And if that doesn't work, then God's going to bring in some discipline and it's going to get a little, going to heat it up just a little bit. And if we don't respond to that, then, then comes some punishment to, to catch our attention and to bring us back to him. And so maybe it's an escalation there. I, I don't know that for sure. But, but when you read that, it makes you wonder if God doesn't start with the, the least amount that he can do to get our attention. And then to escalate it until he has our full attention, if that's what it takes to bring us back. But he says here that, that all true sons are disciplined by their father. In fact, for you not to be disciplined by the father uh, indicates that you're an illegitimate child that you're not a true son you ever been in a room where somebody else's kids acting up and if that was your kid you think oh man if that was my child I would just but it's not your child and so you you don't feel the liberty (laughs) to correct or to discipline or to do what's necessary to bring that behavior back under control. Why? Because it's not your child. But there's something about your child doing that, and you feel the responsibility. You feel the, the obligation to, to step in and to do that. And so with, with us, when we belong to the Lord, God has a responsibility to us to discipline us and to bring us back to him. And then he says here, he says, if we don't, if we don't get disciplined, then it's, it's a sign that we may be illegitimate children. There's a stronger word that they use in Greek there, but I, I'm not going to use it here because we have children in our midst but it's a strong term that he uses here to describe what an illegitimate child is verse 9 he says moreover we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it see discipline when it's done right leads to respect and even with our human fathers who didn't always get it right But they disciplined us, and that leads to respect. Now, sometimes it takes years before we respect them. I remember as a freshman or maybe sophomore in college, still living at home, going to junior college, and my mom came up with this idea that that it it was best for all of us boys to learn how to make our beds every day. Wasn't a big deal. I thought, Mom, that's the most wasteful use of my time. Why make it up? I'm just going to get right back in it. You know, I mean, that, that making the bed has never been my thing, you know. But you're going to make your bed every day. And, and Mom was a school teacher, and so she said, if I get home from school and your bed's not made, you're going to be grounded. I'm thinking, I'm a sophomore in college. You're not going to ground me. This is crazy. Mom, that's what we're going to do. And I'm like... All right, so I got up one morning, I was late for college, and I thought, okay, I'll get back home before mom gets back home. I'll go into school, I get out at noon, one o'clock, whatever, I'll get home, I'll make my bed before mom gets home, no big deal. Well, that was the last I thought of it. That afternoon, mom comes in, it's a Friday afternoon, I had a date that night, and uh, she's like, hey, you didn't make your bed today, and I'm like, I meant to make it after school, you're supposed to make it before you go to school, I know, but I was going to make it after school before you got home, and I just didn't do it, I forgot, okay, you're grounded, give me your truck keys, and I'm like, What? Give me your keys. You're grounded. And I'm like, no way. And we get in this big argument, and I'm, I'm a foot taller than mom, you know, and I'm looking down and going, you're not getting my keys. And she bows up and says, I'll get your keys or else. And my girlfriend lived like, I don't know, a mile away. 
I gave mom my keys and I took off walking. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we still laugh about that. Now, at that moment, I was not a happy camper. I bet I kicked every rock in the road between my house and my girlfriend's house to go over there and see her that night. And I, I was fuming mad. And it, was, it lasted for a week or however long mom decided it was. I don't remember exactly, but I remember this. I never forgot that moment. She was disciplining me. She was training me. I didn't like it at the moment. But as an adult now, I'm so thankful that I had parents that would do that. That I had parents that would not just teach me how to make a bed. That doesn't matter to me even today. But would teach me to listen and to obey, to respect authority. And this is what he's saying here in this story, is that, that we have these, these human fathers that disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Well, if that's the case, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? If your, heaven, if your earthly father would dis- discipline you and it leads to respect, how much more so should, should we respect our heavenly father who disciplines us, who loves us enough to step in and to discipline us? He says in, in verse 10, our, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. You see, our parents, our earthly parents, and we as parents, we, we do the discipline as best we know how. But we don't always get it right. But that's not the case with our Heavenly Father. He always disciplines us for our good so that we can share in His holiness. Because that's God's goal. When God brings us into his family, he makes us his children, his goal is, is not just to, to, to change us morally so that we look prim and proper. His goal is to change our heart and to make us holy from the inside out. And the way that God does that is to discipline us. And for God not to discipline us is for God to leave us unholy, which is not a loving father. And so he says here that, that, that God's purpose in his discipline is always for our good. And it's always that we might share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can you remember those spankings you used to get when you were growing up? Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't say that was pleasant at the time. But it was necessary. And it was beneficial. So discipline does not seem pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Here, here's what happens. We tend to, to look very short term, just right now, what I'm feeling right now. God's looking miles down the road. God's saying, this is the character that I want to develop in you, and this is what it's going to take to, to set you free from that sin, to, to change your heart from the inside out. God's looking long term. We tend to look at the immediate what happens right now how I feel this moment and sometimes we don't want to go through the discipline and the pain of that discipline in order to be where we need to be later on but but God's not just looking at this lifetime but God's looking at eternity he's not just concerned about my comfort 
but he's concerned about my character and, and who I am and what I'm going to become. And so he says, no discipline is pleasant at the, at, the, at the time, but it's painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. But look, only for those who've been trained by it, who've been disciplined by it. So if God were to withhold that discipline, he would never achieve the holiness that he's after. It's through God's discipline, his loving discipline in our lives, that you and I become holy, that we reflect him more completely, that we can let the world see what God really looks like. It's as God works in me that then I can reflect him to the world. It's as God parents me that I learn then how to parent my children. So a lot of these implications that he's talking about, about this relationship with us and God, also go into the parenting models that we, that we should, should strive to, to, uh, to live out. As parents, you may think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to discipline my children. I'm not going to correct my children. I don't want to wound them. I, just wanna, I don't want to hurt their ego. I don't want to... And Scripture would say you're missing it there. You're not doing your child a favor if, if that's the way you choose to parent. You're doing your child harm. The, the most loving thing that we can do sometimes is to discipline our children, to teach them, and to, to, to shape them. Now, we don't need to do that in anger, and it doesn't need to be abuse. I'm, I'm not for that. But I am saying that, that we have a role as parents. If these are our children, for us to withhold that discipline, to withhold that instruction, to withhold that kind of thing from them, says to them, you're not my child. I'm not responsible for you. And that's the last thing we would want to communicate to our kids. So he says in, in verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble knees, your feeble arms and your weak knees. In other words, God's going to do this because you're his child. So get ready. Bear up under this. Be ready because God's going to do that. Make level the path for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. And then verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's God's goal is for us to be in relationship with him, to be with him forever and ever. And if we back this up and, and, and play the tape backwards, we, we get the, the sequence here. God's desire is for us to, to be with him, for us to, to see him, to be in relationship with him. How does that occur? That occurs as God disciplines us. It occurs as God trains us through this process of, of discipline. And so even as believers now, we are covered by God's grace. But that does not mean that we just run wild. It doesn't mean that God just says, okay, you're covered by grace. Your sins are forgiven. Go do anything that you want to do. That's not the way God works. That would not be loving and kind to us. And so what God does is God works in a way to rebuke us when we step aside. That's, that's part of that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. To discipline us and to teach us not to go that way, but to go a different way. When an athlete trains and his body becomes disciplined, uh, they talk about muscle memory, where he's not thinking through every single step of the process, but it just becomes almost rote memory. He knows what to do and how to do it. When a, when a pitcher learns how to, how, to, how to pitch and how to throw, he does it so often 
that it just becomes this muscle memory. He just naturally does that. But that comes through discipline. It comes through a repetitive process of doing the same thing over and over and over and doing it right. And so we go through trials in life that teach us again and again and again some of the same things that we're going to need so that the longer we do it, the more natural it seems. And God disciplines us. He, he disciplines our bodies. He disciplines our mind. He disciplines our spirits. And God walks us through this process to help us to become more like him because his goal is for us to be holy so that we can be with him. But that holiness only comes as a byproduct of discipline. So when we step out of line, when we sin or we mess up, and God convicts us, instead of us denying that or, or, or just turning our back on it, uh, as he says here, don't, don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly, we ought to see this as an opportunity to thank the Lord. Lord, thank you that when I do stray, your spirit is there to call me back. That, Lord, even when I get stiff-necked and I don't want to come back and I, I stay away from you for a while, that, Lord, you kind of turn up the heat and you, you show me the consequences of my sin. You let me taste the bitterness of, of what it means to, to walk away from you. And you help me, Lord, to, to be able to, to see this. And so God disciplines us to produce fruit that would not otherwise come. And that's why his discipline in our lives is loving. And it's why it's loving for us to discipline our children that way as well. So knowing that, that what God's doing and, and that he's doing it in a loving way, and he's doing it not just for this life, but for eternity, gives us hope in the middle of our sufferings, the ability to stand up and to watch God work in, in our lives, even through the, the difficult things that comes. So why, why does God do that? Why, why does God call us back out of sin? Is it just because it gives God a black eye when I, when I sin? I think the real reason, guys, is that God is fully aware of the deadliness of sin. He's fully aware of what sin robs us of when we allow it to come and, and reside in our lives. Scripture says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Well, guys, sin does the same thing. It steals and it kills and it destroys. And God understands the, the incredible cost of sin in our lives. And he says that he's come that we might not only have life, but life more abundant. And that abundant life is not possible when sin's residing in our hearts. And so the Lord convicts us of that and he helps us to, 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 to turn back from that and to turn back to him. And it's that process that God uses to, to, to bring us back into our our rightful place with him. I think sometimes we minimize sin and we think, you know, sin's not that big of a deal. Uh, it was just a little sin. It was just a white lie. It was just a, you know, just a little off. But those things do rob us from what God has for us and they do keep us from becoming everything. Sin is so destructive. And I think sometimes we forget just how loving God is and so what I've begun to pray for myself, and, and I pray the same for each of you, is, is what Paul wrote and, and prayed in, in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 
to the end of that chapter. He says this, For this very reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom this whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And look at this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Think about that for just a minute. I pray that you can know and be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because listen, God's not just loving when he pours out blessings upon us. But God is being loving when he calls us back from the devastating effects of sin. And that's why he brings conviction in our heart. Not to just load us down with guilt but to call us back into this fullness of life that he desires for you and for me. And so he's saying here in Ephesians, I pray that you can know just how rich this love is. Know this love that surpasses knowledge. Is that interesting to you? I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know something that's unknowable. We'll never fully grasp the magnitude of the love the Father has for us. But man, may we get so close. May, we, may we, we see it more and more every single day, even though we could never fully understand every dimension of it. May we understand more and more of this love of God so that we see even in his discipline, he's being loving. Even in his correction and his rebuke and even in his punishment, he is calling us back to him. And he's calling us to, to know him in a way that we could not ever know him apart from him. And then he says, as he concludes here in Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to know what is unknowable. But I also want you to know that he is able to do more than you could ever ask or think. I wonder if today we wouldn't spend our time maybe more fruitful, more productive, saying to the Lord, Lord, would you help me to know you in every event of life? To know you when the blessings flow my way, but also, Lord, to know you when you're trying to discipline me and you're trying to call me back. Help me to see that you love me even when you discipline me. You love me even when you rebuke me. You love me, God, even when you have to punish me. That's the love of the Father. And it's a love that seeks to make us holy because without holiness, we'll never see the Lord. It has eternal consequences. And if you're a child of God, then you can expect that your heavenly Father is going to do whatever it takes to bring you into that place that you need to be to be his child. 
my prayer for me is, Lord, that, that when you rebuke me, my heart will be tender enough that I'll just come on back. And we can skip the discipline. We can skip the punishment. We can, we can just come right on back into that relationship with you. That all it takes, Lord, is just, to, just that, that conviction of your spirit. And I'll be sensitive enough and responsive enough that, that you can do your work. But, Lord, I know this. I know that if that doesn't work, you're not going to quit and you're not going to give up. You're never going to just walk away. The love you have for me is evident even in the way that you discipline us. And so I want to encourage you because sometimes we go through hard times. And sometimes we go through, through moments where God is disciplining us and God is chastising us and God is, is calling us to, to change our thinking and to change our behavior. And in that process, he's loving us. To our students, our kids, our college students, maybe our college sophomores, when your parents discipline you, it's for your good. And it's because they love you. I'll tell you this, as a parent, it's a whole lot easier not to do it than it is to do it. But we do it for your good because we love you. And we want you to know the Lord in an intimate way. And we want you to know the Lord in a, in a, in a deeper way each time. So let's pray together and let's ask the Lord, if he would, to help us, like Paul said in Ephesians, to know him deeper and deeper.